time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, I love doing this show. Honestly, it's the fastest two hours of my week every week. This particular segment, the top of the first and second hour, very short segments. So I do in the first hour, my first five. In the second hour, I have my right view roundtable question of the week. And these are with political buddies that we talk about politics all the time. Anyway, we just decided to do it on air once in a while. So I have Lori Medina, Lori Guerra here. And here's my question. I really do want to hear what you guys think. I may slightly express my opinion earlier, but you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. The question of the week is, so we appear to be at the place. We have the American Health Care Act. At this point, seems to be the best we can get out of the GOP majority in the House and Senate. So if we can't make it any better, if it's going to be the way it is, should conservatives support and pass the American Health Care Act as it is? Uh, with hope for future phases of repeal? Should they refuse to support it and hold off for clean repeal or just pass nothing and let Obamacare fail on a, of its own weight? What should they do if they can't get the bill that they really need? Okay, Debbie, I got an answer for this Lori one. Lori M. <laughs> Medina, rolling. Medina. Okay. Um, you know, when, when Obamacare passed, um, it was, you know, 2010. And um, it was a dark day for America. And for me, as an activist leader in America, it was an incredibly dark day because I saw how big that w- this was and how difficult it was o- ever going to be to overturn, that that we would just have to have a, you know, a, a political parting of the Red Sea for the environment to be right to ever, ever, re- you know, repeal this thing. Well, miracle upon miracles. The political stars have aligned, and we have everything in place to repeal Obamacare. Do I need to remind everyone what we have in place? We have the president. We have the the House. We have the Senate. Um, We can absolutely do this. But for whatever reason, they have put together this rhino care. And that's just—and the only reason I'm calling it that is because that's what it's become. I like it. Rhino care is good. So the answer is— uh, we need to we need to block this thing as conservatives. We need to stop it. We need to do everything we can to get our congressmen, our senators, to not vote for this Rhino Care. It is the worst thing that we could ever pass. This is this is not about passing it now and fixing it later. Because if it passes now, it'll never be fixed. It'll never be changed. This three stage process thing is a big bunch of malarkey and that's a nice word for it what it is because we're on air it's never going to happen i mean the democrats uh, i'm getting worked up here the democrats when they passed obamacare they did it in one take one doggone take they did it they didn't take three swipes because at they it. knew the same that's thing. Right. right they knew it they knew they got one chance at it they did it one time here we have one chance. And one of the reasons we have one chance, this is not me being uh, apoplectic about this, is the fact that we have budget reconciliation. We have this special moment in time where we only need 51 precious votes in the Senate. We can do this. And if we wait too long, in just a matter of months, we're not going to have this opportunity ever again. So right. now is the time to repeal. Don't worry about the replace. Repeal it right now. Do not pass the rain care. That is the worst thing we can do. 
Okay, Lori Medina has spoken. Okay, Lori Guerra, what do you have to say? Look, they promised us that they were going to repeal and replace, and they promised and they promised and they promised. They've had, I don't know how many years to go over the details of this and try to figure out what they were going to do, what they were going to propose, should they get what they asked the American people for. They, the American people stepped up. They gave them the House, they gave them the Senate, they gave them the White House. Now, all of a sudden, we've got tricky issues that seem to be acting as barriers or so we're hearing from some members. And I understand it's a deliberative process. I understand that they um, that there are rules that they have to follow within the Senate and things like that. And that can be a little bit tricky. Um, But they they have to find a way. They have to find a way to get this done. They promised they were going to lower our costs. They promised they were going to give more competition, uh, that there were going to be more care options. And if if they can only do it in the one swipe, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's maybe I I hear talk about how they're going to do it in several steps, but it's very hard to have confidence that those steps are going to come to fruition. Listen, they have voted 50 times to repeal this thing in nine years. They have voted uh, almost, uh, how many years? Uh, seven six years. and a half. Six, six and, and a half, half years. Yeah. They have voted over 50 times to repeal it. So what was all that? What was that? Showboating. Showboating yeah. to right. get our votes they, and to get our money and to get our support, and I'm sick of it. Yeah, I will tell you that all I, that was something I failed to mention in my little first five in the start. But all these people now, you know, wringing their hands and saying, "Well, I can't really repeal it." I mean, just they voted for repeal. That's all right. these Republicans did. And in the Senate, you know, Lori's point: we can't. We've done it many times on the show. We can't do it tonight. In the remaining thirty seconds we have in this segment. But this is a unique time procedurally. There is zero reason yep. the Republicans cannot repeal the entirety of Obamacare using reconciliation process in the Senate, just like Obamacare got passed via reconciliation. Right. Repeal it the same way. And, you know, the other thing is, this: well, what about the parliamentarian thing? I didn't get off on that. But the parliamentarian, number one, can be overruled by the vice president, period. Of the parliamentarian can be overruled by the Senate. The parliamentarian can be fired. The parliamentarian is not the speaker of the Ten Commandments. He is not is not a federal law. It's just a position. And the Republicans have to see this moment for the enormity of importance it has. Trump they needs to lead. Yeah, Trump, Trump, Trump needs, needs to lead. lead. I'm hoping he will. I'm hoping he get, got his ears rung a little bit this week and figured out he was being misled. Okay, fine. We're done <laughs> with this segment. Okay, coming up after our break, we have an unbelievably exciting guest and named Elizabeth Sabinich-Wolf. She's being prosecuted for free speech. You'll love her story. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you why I do this radio show, America Can We Talk?, 
in my life, I've been a full-time attorney, a wife, and a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer at our kids' schools and sports teams, and a political activist. I've been active in many political campaigns, organizations, and events, from the grassroots level to elected leadership roles, and from volunteer to paid consultant. One theme that runs through my life since my days of majoring in political science in college has been a continually growing admiration for the idea of America. And that gets me to why I do this show. America is the most important political idea in the world. Everything good and great about America is the result of these ideas of America. Things like the rule of law, limited power in the federal government, separation of powers, protection of individual rights of each citizen. So on my show, we talk about the events and stories of the day, always tied back to preserving the ideas of America. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love had my right view roundtable joining me tonight, Lori Medina and Lori Guerra. And as I mentioned before our break, we have just an amazing human being joining us uh, this segment. And she, we have her on the line, on the phone line. I wish she could be here, but she's in California. Uh, and her name is Elizabeth Sabadich Wolf. And I will tell you a very quick thing. So Frank Gaffney, who's been on my show many times, founder of Center for Security Policy, called me last week. I forget why he called. But anyway, he ended up saying, have you had this Elizabeth Sabotage Wolf on your show? He goes, I'm pulling over right now. I want to give you her phone number. So um, I I now know a lot more about her than I did before. And good evening, Elizabeth. (laughs) Good evening from California, from sunny California. 
Wow, I'm glad to hear it's sunny. I guess it's kind of sunny here, but probably not like California. Okay, well, I want to jump right into your story. I have now read uh, a lot of information about your story, and I think the easiest thing for our listeners might be, I'll quick say that you are an Austrian, country of Austria citizen in America, having given various speeches over the recent years, talking about the loss of freedom of speech in Austria and Western Europe. I'd love to have you just tell our listeners, if you would, in a shortened version, your story, what happened to you in Austria that led to actual criminal charges? Um, the story is, is, is easy for me to tell, but probably very hard for Americans to grasp, um, since, you, since you still have uh, a First Amendment. Um, as I was getting into talking and, and uh, teaching more and more people about uh, the effects of Islam in Austria, uh, the leftists... Uh, came across my name and decided to infiltrate the uh, seminars that, that I held. And they infiltrated them and uh, made a surreptitious recording of the seminars and then basically ran off to the prosecutor, uh, who then decided to press charges. Um, I then, saw a, a year later approximately, so in 2010, uh, there was a trial and uh, the judge found did not find me guilty on the original charge, which was uh, incitement to hate. Um, but she added a second charge uh, during the proceedings when she when she saw she couldn't uh, get me on the first one. So the second charge was uh, denigration of religious teachings, and that is basically a blasphemy charge. So uh, I was found guilty on that. I was fined. I appealed. I appealed uh, first to the appellate court, to the Supreme Court, uh, lost, uh, in a, of course, both, both instances. And the case is now pending or has been pending for the last six years or seven years almost uh, at the so-called European Court of Human Rights. Now, the European Court of Human Rights is usually very friendly towards uh, freedom of speech. Uh, but uh, we have been expecting a verdict or a brief uh, for my, my lawyer and I have been expecting that probably since July or August of last year, and it hasn't handed it down, ha, has not handed, has not been handed down. So it makes you wonder why. I have my own theories. I think you would have your own theories too. So that's where I stand. I certainly would. We're speaking, if you've just happened to tune in tonight, with Elizabeth Savadich-Wolf, an Austrian citizen. But I want to back up and just say, in your story, this, this you, you began in Austria speaking and giving seminars about the impact of the growing Islamic immigration into Austria and other Western European countries, essentially, in your, as I understand, in your seminars, teaching about the basic tenets of Islamic law, of uh, the Quran, the Hadith. So you were speaking about... What Islam itself writes and says about itself. Is that right? Uh, factual uh, information about Islam. Uh, there, was, there was nothing uh, that wasn't factual. I mean, you, could, you, you can go to the books, uh, the, the, the books on Islam. You can go to the Quran, the Hadith, uh, the, the life story of Muhammad, the biography, and you would find what I said. However, the judge uh, did not like what I had to say about the child marriage of uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, and his child bride, Aisha. So uh, I asked during the uh, seminar, I asked a rhetorical question, and I said, what do you call this behavior if not Islam? 
So what essentially I was doing, I was I was looking for another word to describe a behavior uh, that isn't condoned in our Western society. And she judged uh, that it is a, it is factual for me to say that uh, Mohammed had sex with a six-year-old and consummated the marriage when she was nine, but calling this pedophilia is an excess of opinion. Wow. Okay. You know, it's very interesting because in America, we feel so uh, safe, really, for the most part. You may be derided and criticized by people who don't agree with you politically, but pretty much people feel safe, even on a show like this, right? I say pretty much anything I, I think politically. But in Western Europe, which I, I think we all assume is kind of like America, that kind of it's a Western values, Western civilization country. But you're talking about in Austria. I wrote down, I, I actually read a lot of your um, information about you online. The name of this charge you ended up being convicted on is denigration of religious beliefs of a legally recognized religion. So Austria is saying right. essentially, yeah, you can't criticize what another religion believes, but to get to to the point where you were your case or your story was brought to the attention of prosecutors with some left-wing magazine that showed up to monitor you, which is another creepy aspect of this. This is kind of the leftist mentality playing, um, not policemen exactly, but but playing spy, agitating, trying to make sure that if they can make a case against someone on the conservative side, they're agitating that the government shut somebody else down. Correct. That's precisely it. However, this law actually encompasses all legally recognized religions in Austria. So that would uh, include uh, Christianity and Buddhism and, and um, Judaism, you know, what have you. But the problem is this law is never applied to any other criticism other than that vis-a-vis Islam. Yeah, and actually that is what I want to jump to because, you know, these this segments on this show, they sadly go so fast. I, they just make it makes me crazy. I want to turn then to so your case. So you have your case pending before the European Union's High Court or whatever the name of the court is. No, it uh, has nothing to do with the European Union. This oh. is an actual Europe, uh, uh, European court. European so there are court countries in there that are not uh, member states of the European Union. Oh, okay. So they agreed to take your case. And if they decide in your favor that, that Austria respects that, the, the country of Austria respects that decision? They, they do have the, the, the opportunity or the chance or they could appeal. But uh, I was told they, uh, if they lose, if Austria loses, uh, it's unlikely they will appeal. And that it will have, it will have uh, incredible repercussions. Yeah. You know, we're, this whole uh, instance you're describing is, is occurring against the backdrop of the um, refugee uh, crisis, people moving across, around the world, try, and some of them legitimate refugees, many not, but moving into uh, Western Europe and, and many tr- trying to come to America and Australia and other countries. And you made a point in, some, in one of the speeches I read that you talked about European is kind of, Europe is kind of becoming going over a multicultural cliff and that you're watching the advocacy or the outcome of this borderless society feel. Can you comment on that? Well, uh, my question to people advocating uh, a borderless society is, do you lock your door at night? And usually people will say to me, well, yes, of course. I mean, and why, you know, I ask them, well, why would you do that? Well, to keep out people who, don't, who I don't want in my house. 
And that is the argument that I have. Uh, I don't want people in my country that have no right, no legal right to be there. You're very welcome if you, are, uh, if you want to come into Austria and visit Vienna, uh, come in legally, present your passport, uh, present your, your, your money that you're planning to spend. Uh, do it according to the law. I mean, I, I, when I came to the U.S. about 10 days ago, I was asked, you know, what are you doing here? Where's your passport? Uh, when are you leaving again? When's your tic- where's your ticket? Um, you know, things like that. Normal, ordinary questions. And all of a sudden, just because uh, these refugees, or so-called refugees, uh, you know, they, they, have their, they, they can throw away their phones. They, lo- uh, they lose their passports, I'm sorry, but they, they keep their phones all the way from, from Syria, from war-torn Syria. I mean, something is wrong here, and we have to wake up and, and look at the facts. And that is why I support President Trump's uh, moratorium on, on uh, uh, citizens from, from these countries. In many instances, in, in Europe, in Austria specifically, we have no idea where these people are from. They will just come in and say, well, I'm from Syria, asylum, asylum. Yeah, we're speaking, if you just tuned in, Elizabeth Saudich-Wolf, and she's an Austrian citizen. She's here in America. She's speaking up about uh, many different issues. And when we come back from the break, I want to turn and talk about what this whole challenge of free speech in Western Europe, does she see, would this ever happen in America? How does she see that in terms of America? So come right back after our break. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. We have uh, someone online tonight that I honestly, Elizabeth, it's very hard to do justice to your, not just to your story, but to the importance of what the battle you're fighting and the importance to America of it. And so in the quickest summary way, we're speaking with Elizabeth Sabinich-Wolf, who is Austrian, who was uh, putting on seminars in 2008 forward in Austria, trying to warn people about the aggressive Islamic ideology that's behind a lot of the refugee crisis, that there is, it is not just people who happen to be coming from war-torn countries and are helpless, but they're actually refugees who are largely uh, young military-age males, that there is a concept in Islam called hijra, which is the uh, use of immigration to essentially push your way in and then commit jihad when you get enough numbers. Um, And so she tried to warn people about that, and that actually cost her. uh, She was, was criminally prosecuted in Austria for essentially speaking the truth about what Islam teaches. In fact, the statute. So what you're trying to do is what so many activists, including Frank Gaffney and others in America, are trying to do, which is warn people that the Islamic immigration throughout Western Europe and coming to America is not just simply peaceful people coming to look to assimilate. It is potentially a very dangerous dangerous and aggressive situation with the spread of radical intolerant Islam. Is that a good summary? 
That is an excellent summary. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. May I add just some an explanation uh, to what you talked about regarding Hijra? Um, if if we look back at all the refugee waves uh, that uh, took place after World War II, uh, you, you saw refugees flocking uh, from Europe to Europe mostly, so from a Western country to a Western country. So there was no real problem, other than perhaps the, the odd language or two, for these people to, to actually integrate or, and or assimilate. Uh, there was no religious problem. Now, you have all these people from mostly Muslim countries. Actually, I would argue they come in from Muslim countries. And uh, it makes you wonder. They are, I would say, 99.9% devout Muslims. Now, why on earth would they want to come to Europe? It is a completely alien uh, religious system in Europe, a completely alien uh, government system. It's an alien uh, culture. It's an alien uh, uh, climate. Uh, now, why on earth would they come? Wouldn't they rather go to rich countries like Saudi Arabia or the other Gulf countries uh, or, you know, somewhere, some, anywhere else? Indonesia is an Islamic country. It's apparently peaceful. That's what we're told. Now, that ties in with the Hijra. They are supposed to, to uh, emigrate to Europe, to North America, in order to populate there, in order to build mosques, in order to build Islamic schools, in order to not to assimilate. They are supposed to fight to retain their own cultural, religious, and political ties. And that, of course, means trouble. And that's the trouble we are seeing in Europe, and that's the trouble we are starting to see here in the United States. And it's going to get worse. I guarantee you that. And you're probably going to ask me, well, what do I suggest uh, the Americans do? And I think uh, the question, the answer to this question is a very simple one. Protect the Constitution. The only way you can protect the Constitution is you know what the Constitution is all about. Simple, isn't it? I'm sorry. We know what the Constitution is about. What was that last point? And... It's a very simple point. You have to protect uh, the Constitution. And without knowing what the Constitution is all about, you can't protect it. So you have to learn about it. You have to study it like I did when I was in eighth grade. And then you go out and you protect the Constitution because that's the only piece of document of, of uh, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, the best and the easiest uh, Constitution worldwide. And you it, have to protect it. It's absolutely true. And, you know, I actually, I think it's very interesting because you, you have your battle going on in Austria and you have many people in the world are watching what's happening in Western Europe. And you end up with a, a picture of, you know, why is Western Europe, why are people standing up more? Why aren't they stopping this? Uh, just, uh, and in fact, the people are trying to, it's the leaders more who are not. You know, we had a call. Uh, we have a system where you can leave a message, a call and question ahead of time. We had one caller who had a question for you. I don't know if it's ready over there, Greg. You ready to roll? Okay, question we have one question for, for a caller. Why not continue, or rather, there seems to be a rise in EU populism and nationalism. Do you think the EU is waking up, and will they be able to turn back the tide? Thank you. Uh, 
that is a, a not only a loaded question, but also a difficult question to answer. First of all, the EU will not react. The EU is bloated. The EU is um, not interested in any of this. Actually, the EU is all about getting uh, about uh, population replacement. Uh, going back to Count Kudenhofer Kalergi in the 1920s, who for the first, he actually started the idea of, the, of a European Union, and he he predicted there would be uh, replacement of the white European with a white Negroid population. Okay, so that's that's already happening. That's what they want. Uh, that's what the European wants. The European Union wants. Second, um, there is no such thing as populism. Populism is a buzzword. Um, Amen. I can, the only thing I can tell you about is if you are populist, you're actually the good guy because you're listening to the population. So uh, I don't know why everybody's so afraid of populism. And I can tell you the left, the political left in Austria, who are in government, are currently the, the most populistic, populist uh, uh, political party in Austria. It's, it's, it's amazing what they're, the money they're, they're handing out to people. Um, and the second, uh, the, the, the other part of the question was the nationalistic uh, move. Um, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, not, well, I'm nationalist in that I am patriotic. And for me, it's always Austria first and then everything else. So if that's a bad thing, then maybe Americans uh, should ask themselves, uh, themselves if they're nationalistic. Because when I travel to the United States, all I see is U.S. flags all the way, patriotism, Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, and, and is that a bad thing? So tell me, is it bad in America? But, but is it good in America, but bad in Austria? I, I don't really get the question. Yeah, you know what? I actually— I. I... The points you're hitting, and we've talked about in this show so many times, it just the the uh, lazy or uh, loose use of words that carry all sorts of uh, connotations that are not accurate. And the notion that in America, standing up for the, to me, what means to be patriotic is standing up for the ideas America was founded on, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, rule of law, separation of powers, all the things we need to keep America stable. That's patriotic, and it is unique in America. I mean, the, the whole world would be helped by having more of America's founding ideas as part of theirs but to be to support those and think they matter it, it's just you can't overstate it you know elizabeth we're gonna um i have to roll here but i do want to if you can just tell our listeners i love hearing about your your situation and that you're speaking up and speaking about preserving culture against the is, uh, islamic um aggression what can people do to support you um you know what uh they could they could go online and go online to to uh, access the webpage encountertruth.com. This will be a very unique uh, project. Uh, let me remind listeners: it's not live. It's the the website. It will be live hopefully by the end of uh, the month, and uh, people will be able to uh, hear a one-hour segment a week with me, re- sort of reporting live from Austria, and I will have great guests on my show. Hopefully, also, I'll have Alan West. If he's listening, hi, Alan. <laughs> Hope you're doing okay. Um, I'll, you know, I'd love to have you, and, and so we can discuss uh, more, more uh, information. And I will also report on different conferences that I attend where I speak out against Islam and uh, Sharia law and especially Islamophobia, because that's a big, uh, big point that we need to raise, an important point. So encountertruth.com. 
EncounterTruth.com, Elizabeth Sabotage Wolf. If you just if you just Google Elizabeth with an S and then Wolf W O L F F, you'll get her stories to come up. And I'm just I'm grateful for your bravery and your uh, outspokenness. And honestly, I just think that the the uh, you know there are many canaries in the coal mine trying to yell out and say, hey, before uh, America is overrun with uh, a, an aggressive form of Islam, uh, we need to be watching what's happening in Europe and 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 be protecting our precious country. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for calling in. Well, thank you for having me, and and, uh, goodbye from Los Angeles. (laughs) Goodbye to you and to our listeners. I'll tell you, we have one more segment after our break. I'm going to share just a couple things that she, after the break, that she wrote in a posting she has, so don't go away. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit Texas policy.com to learn more. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. 
FLAG has America's back on the cultural battlefield. FLAG is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of FLAG is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. On August 2, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son Mark Allen Lee had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Welcome back to what is sadly the final segment of our show tonight. It goes by too quickly every week. I want to take a moment, of course, to thank the sponsor for our show. I want to thank GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. Thank you to GC Works. We appreciate them so much. Okay, I also want to mention that you may uh, all know, uh, I mentioned last week, but I want to mention several times that um, back in January, I was asked to speak at a thing which is now April 18th. It's coming up April 18th, and it is a report on the first 100 days of President Trump. Okay, I'm not the only person doing this. I'm well aware there's quite a few different uh, events going on. But I really want to encourage you, if you'd like, I'm going to be doing this along with Wade Miller, who's one of our second-hour Right View Roundtable people here in the show. He's also uh, involved with the Heritage Foundation. He's extremely well-informed, someone I call, um, try to get the latest scoop on what committee, what bill is in. He always knows, and he's very tuned into what's happening with Obamacare. So if you'd like to come to that meeting, email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Um, it is a uh, organization's meeting, but I can invite people. And if you'd like to come and hear that, and it's, a, it's, very, it's no charge and very interactive, you can ask questions. It's going to be a great night. And again, it is Tuesday, April 18th. First 100 days of Donald Trump. Email me at americacommunitalk at gmail.com. Um, also, we have a thing I'm going to announce periodically, which is you can, if you are interested in doing it, call into this um, call into a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week line we now have for this show to leave a question or a comment about the show or a question for an upcoming guest. The message line is 214-556-5659. Say it one more time, 214-556-5659. You know, this show, because it's only two hours a week, I don't really take callers um, because it's just not enough time to talk about all the important issues. But if you can leave your message a minute or under with a question or comment, I work very hard to get them into the show. Had a couple of those tonight and it was fun to do that. Okay, so we have our final um, 
segment, and we all always lament two hours went by too quickly. We were talking in the break about what we should get back to, and we were talking about how, you know, and I think Lori Medina wants to chime in on this, and, and probably Lori Gary too, but, you know, how bad will it be for the Republicans if we blow this on repealing Obamacare? I mean, is it going to be one of the many policy things, go, oh, well, you know, couldn't get that done, move on to the tax cuts, or is it going to be a bigger consequence if we blow it? Uh, it is going to be the death knell for the Republican Party. And you can put that in writing in right ink. now. Ink. Yes, you can. Um, because the way Rhino Care works is that it, it takes away the individual mandate, so which is basically the funding of how this entire monstrosity of a program, Obamacare, would work. It takes away the funding but leaves all the regulations. So basically, it turns the whole thing upside down. So it's not only going to fail, as Obamacare was going to fail, it's going to fail spectacularly. And it's going to fail in such a horrible way that guess who's going to be blamed? The Republicans. And they will the deserve Republicans. it. Absol- oh, absolutely. So not only will they have uh, you know, uh, received the ire of, of us conservatives that fought against Obamacare, but they'll receive the ire of the general public that are, are are living under the weight of this monstrosity in dealing with the high the high uh, the high cost of of, of uh, health care. So uh, I believe this is the end. I I, I mean I, I I've tweeted I've called my congressman and said um, this Don't is the do end. It. Do yeah. not do it. And this is the end of the Republican Party. And you know there are people conservatives waiting in the wings who really thought the Republican Party was about over before Donald Trump won. Yep. Given that Donald Trump won, everyone sat back and said, okay, let's see how we do. But the complaint that gave rise to the Tea Party, gives rise to conservative activism, the complaint was Republicans have jelly spines. They never stand up. The Democrats are bulldogs. They get to Washington. They push through every last thing they want. And Republicans always just think, well, we'll just negotiate. I said it last week. It's like Republicans think it's like Sunday school. We're going to go and equally share our ideas. We did our homework, and we're going to respectfully share our ideas. And meanwhile, the Democrats are stormtrooping through and killing everybody in sight. And so this time, this election cycle, gave the Republicans a chance to do this, to actually repeal the biggest over-the-cliff-to-socialism thing Democrats have succeeded in getting, and Republicans are Watching it. I don't know, Lori, Gary, you look like you're ready to see something. Yeah, I, this is make or break, I think. Neither party can afford to play with the confidence of the American voter. I mean, this was such a key issue. People in this country, health care affects everyone. doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. It affects us all. We all deserve quality health care. And right now, the ball is in Republican hands. They cannot afford to mess this up. I mean, the American people can't afford it and the party can't afford it. So they better get something good done for everyone. I'll tell you something else to chime on, to add on to that. The Democrats really wanted to pass in 2010. They wanted to pass single-payer, full-on socialized medicine. That's what they wanted, but they were afraid. They weren't afraid of, you know, they were afraid that they couldn't get it or maybe it would be too much. But this is where we will end up if we don't take this chance now and repeal Obamacare. We'll have a botched, if we do pass this mess of a bill, a botched mess of a bill, which will not fix the problems of Obamacare. It will make, in fact, it, it more premiums more expensive, and mm-hmm. everyone's yep. going to be more yep. frustrated. At the end of the day, Democrats will say, see, look how much they screwed up. Let us take charge. We'll fix it all. Single payer. And, you know, the other thing that I mentioned, the, the expansion of Medicaid, 
what President Obama and the left-wing Democrats who run that party wanted was increasing sense of dependency on the government. Just the notion they planted seed in the American soul and heart that— well, yeah, you know, we reply, we rely on government for food and for our shelter and for our health care. It's weakness and dependency. This is what the Democrat Party, this is where their voters come from, the victim class. So they've already succeeded in getting 11 more million people into Medicaid thinking, this is where my health care comes. Folks, we will end up with single payer if we don't fix Obamacare now or peel the whole darn thing. And, you know, during the campaign, I was one of the few people out there that took issue with, with Trump. And the fact that he uh, had difficulty taking understanding policy, that he really didn't make that a priority, understanding it or, and taking positions on policy. Um, this is the exact ramification of Trump not understanding policy and, and not educating it and not really uh, caring about it, quite frankly. Because if he understood it, uh, if he understood the rhino care legislation and you compare that to his words, it doesn't add up. And so this is why that mattered then, people. <laughs> but you know what? I'll tell you something else about Donald Trump. We, I was th- my husband and I were actually talking about him at home. You know, when you're a billionaire and you have been wealthy your whole life and you've been able to purchase any form of health care needed, voluntary, excessive, whatever it was, and you could always just pay for it, I could see the mentality that develops like, gee, I've just been so, you know, just health care has been a non-issue in terms of being able to pay for it my whole life. So, you know, why can't we make it a little easier for the American people to get to? It's like a, it's like an emotional reaction, sure. which I, is not a, a bad thing. But as you say, Lori Medina, and mm-hmm. it's very true, is that he's not a policy guy. That's he never right. pretended to be. He nope. never said, you know, I'm a policy wonk. But this is what makes it so vital that yep. he decide. I'm going to listen to the people. I know he met with Jim DeMint from Heritage Foundation. He met with a few other serious conservative leaders. Maybe they got the point across because at the end of the day, I think that Donald Trump wants to be successful. He does not want to have the I first too. major policy thing go down in flames, right. which is why the conservatives better make sure the bill, the rhino care bill uh, is, is killed. And then we can get what we hope is a full repeal through. I thought someone was signaling me. No, no, I'm I'm all I'm all for it. I, I I agree, though. I think Trump wants to be successful and this will be I mean, this I don't I, I think it'll ruin his presidency. I think if this thing. Yeah, if it's a care terrible passes. stink bomb yep. to start off with. Yep. And then it also the Democrats sit back and gloat and say, yep. look, these Republicans, look, America, you know, you put them in charge. You gave them the Senate, the House and the White House. They can't handle it. And honestly, Republicans are not used to being in charge and actually leading the agenda. It's been a long time. But the, Paul Ryan needs to go, in my view. I, I really yep. hope that. And in fact, I understand there's also a there's already and a Mitch, subtle Mitch and challenge or, un, underway already about um, whether you can get Speaker Ryan or move before even two years are up because he needs to go he's shown he can't lead and he can't listen to american people okay we still have a couple minutes left so i had some other stories we didn't get to and if anything else on rhino care anything else no that's fine Okay. Talk about the IRS thing. Yes. Okay. Do you have what about the IRS, Lori? Well, gee, I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up. Um, everybody remembers about how the IRS was uh, uh, basically weaponized by Obama to take out his political enemies uh, uh, throughout his administration, and it, it came out in all different types of aspects of our daily lives. Unfortunately, well, lo and behold, once Obama is gone, we find out there's seven thousand documents. Uh, pertaining to this issue that have been now found. 
Um, now, my thing is, is they're still not available to the American public. But 7,000 more documents have been found in that corrupt bureaucracy. And Koskinen needs to be thrown out on his ear. He's the director. Koskinen, He's yeah. the director of the IRS. He needs to be thrown out on his ear yesterday. Yeah. You know what's so frustrating about this is, because we talked about this while it was occurring, it was obviously IRS was targeting conservative organizations. They were essentially not permitting these uh, various activist groups, Tea Parties and other conservative groups, to get IRS. Uh, they wanted to be either 501c3 or 501c4. They wanted certification. There's certain standards of law applies. And if you were a conservative one applying for that, you just couldn't get it. Or they you get delayed for months and months. In fact, there's some organizations still waiting for an answer from the IRS and their 501 C3 and C4. And so what they were doing is trying to politically block opposition to Obamacare from the Tea Party. They were also harassing individual activists, though, too. So, yes, they were. I mean, so it wasn't just, you know, from a, a, a conservative organizational standpoint. They were harassing individual activists. So. And the thing that what is so uh, compelling about this story is that it was indeed uh, the, uh, there were hearings before Congress. You had Loretta Lynch. I'm not uh, uh, what's her name? Lois Lerner. Lois Lerner. Taking the fifth from the IRS saying, you know, she couldn't answer because she might incriminate herself. We were at a place where the IRS was weaponized and yep. lawless and claimed in response to numerous demands for documents. They produced them all. This wasn't like a random. This was documents which only because now the conservatives had the IRS that were able to be- even begin looking and lo and behold, 7,000 new documents. And okay. Trump needs to fire them all. Them all. Okay. You know what? Sadly, our two hours are up for this week. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I have Lori Medina, Lori Guerra, and my friend Susan Corey here visiting from Colorado, one of my longtime friends. Thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. We always talk truth about America. Come back every week. We love talking to you. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.